glory to his name. Amen, amen, hallelujah, amen. I'm undone by the mercy of Jesus. I'm undone by the goodness of the Lord. I'm restored and made right. He got a hold of my life. I had Jesus. What could I want more? Y'all may be seated. Thank y'all so much. Would you give the Lord a praise for our worship team? They work hard in leading us in worship and praise to our Lord. It's a glorious day. Our hearts are warmed by these children. And I just appreciate everyone making Vacation Bible School such a fantastic success. God is good. That's right. Amen. I just wanted to share my eagle with you. I uh, never had an eagle before, but Liz and I are claiming him as our own. Uh, actually, there's a pair of them. We don't, I haven't seen the pair. One had a camera in my hand, but right when we began our sabbatical, we took 11, 12-week sabbatical, and... Uh, by the way, I appreciate y'all's support. This is something I just needed to do. It helped me. I, I was able to get my body in check again, in sync again. Hadn't had any chest pains in over five weeks now, so I'm just really feeling good. Amen. So thank y'all for your support. And uh, I want to thank the Manikis again, Brother Steve and Sister Rebecca, for all they did to help during that time. Amen. But like day one of the sabbatical, this eagle shows up. And I didn't know we had bald eagles in south, southern Indiana. And we started looking at him, and he's so beautiful and so majestic. that You can't ever really get close enough to show how big he is, but it's just a big, big bird. And, I, and I'm, in my prayer time, I felt like the Lord was telling me, there's just a little symbol there that the Holy Spirit is watching over you, and everything's going to be all right. He's in total control of your life. So we, uh, we just fellowshiped this, and every day we saw him, we thought it was like a sign from the Lord. This is the best picture I got. I was up pretty close underneath his tree, and he took off flying, and it just really blessed me. The eagle's a picture, of course, of the Holy Spirit. So we did the sabbatical. That's over. We're back, and uh, I'm healthier than ever, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically, and amen. So let's give the Lord a praise for that. And last week was Father's Day, and I know I uh, skipped town on you guys again, but it's really important. Uh, that's my dad there next to me, and he's, uh, it was also his birthday, and I think he's 80, 81, and he's had a lot of health problems. So my brother and my sister came down as well, and we went to church with him last Sunday morning, Southern Baptist Church in Mississippi. Probably most of us who visit there were kind of considered a dead church. Uh, but you know, the little preacher was great. He started preaching a sermon about halfway through. I grabbed a notepad and started taking notes. I was so blessed by it. The anointing of the Holy Spirit was there, and God fed us right there in that Southern Baptist Church uh, last Sunday morning. And we got to spend time with my dad. The Bible says, honor your mother and your father. And uh, so how you interpret that word honor and what that means to you, what it means to me is to make sure they know that I love them very much. I'm very appreciative of all they did, the investment they made into my life and the way they've raised me. I'm really, really grateful that I have my, my own mom right here in church every Sunday morning on the front row. That's an awesome thing. And, uh, and Elizabeth's mom and dad are right here with us also, mom and dad bad. So that's a great blessing to us. All right, I'm going to jump right in. What are we talking about? We're talking about being conformed to His image. This is lesson three 
in the series entitled Conformed to His Image. That means God wants His sons and daughters to be conformed into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the, God's ultimate intention in life. That's exactly what's going on in your life. All the things you go through, mountains and valleys, darkness and light, pleasure and pain, you go through all of these things because God is in the process of conforming you into the image of His Son. Four critical foundational pillars. This is the third time I've mentioned them. I'm hoping this starts settling in your heart. You've got to understand identity. Our behavior doesn't determine our identity. Instead, our identity determines our behavior. So you've got to know who you are in Christ. That's the most important thing you can learn. Second thing is the image. God has a certain image. God is a certain way. You may think something of God that's not true. That's a false image or golden calf. So you've got to see God the way He really is, and then you've got to learn to see yourself the way God sees you. Because in this process, God is shaping you like a potter, molding clay on a potter's wheel. He's shaping you, molding you, and making you into the image of His Son. That means loving and kind and gentle and merciful and good and gracious, always there to heal people and help people and deliver people. That's what He wants. He wants sons and daughters conformed to the image of the Son of God. He wants you like Christ. He wants our, our lives to demonstrate Christ's life through us. And that happens by indwelling because He comes to live inside of us and He wants to flow out of us. We, last week we learned a little bit how to release the Spirit out of us. God's breaking our soul that the Spirit of God might be released out of us to flow into others. And then finally, intimacy. This is, he's calling you to intimacy. And that's the highest possible calling, an intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So to do this, now we've got to refresh our perspective. See this rabbit up here on the stage? They, they went over this with the kids this week. And I wanted to stay with the same theme. Uh, how many of y'all see a duck? Raise your hand. All right. About half of you. Put your hands down. How many of y'all see a rabbit? Isn't that weird how half of y'all see a rabbit and half of y'all see a duck? All right. Now you got them both, right? On the left, the, the duck bill going out, that's his nose and his mouth, or got, that's the duck. And the rabbit's looking straight up, and, and, and the, the duck bill is also rabbit ears. Can y'all both see them now? Does anybody here not see both the duck and the rabbit? I got some people just with the duck or just with the rabbit. All right, I'm going to go over this with you one more time. It's about 20 y'all raise your hand. See, these, this right here is the duck bill and the duck eye. Everybody see that? Now the rabbit, turn it like this. This is the rabbit ears, and he's looking down. You see the rabbit eye? Everybody see the rabbit? But the thing about it, when your mind first hit it, if all you saw was a duck, and someone said, no, that's a rabbit, you'd say, you're wrong, you're stupid, you're an idiot. Everybody can see that's a duck. And then if you just saw a rabbit, and everybody was seeing it as a duck, you got the same conflict going on. So what's wrong with the church world today is people see a part of God, a part of the gospel, a part of the Bible, part of the truth, and they think they have the whole truth, and they're narrow-minded thinking that's all there is to see. Let me tell you something. God may be looking like a duck to you today, but He wants to show He's also a rabbit. That's an extreme analogy, but that's where we are. Re you know how you have to refresh your computer sometimes? You got to do an update. You got to hit the refresh button. 
And all of a sudden, things are updated and changed and everything's crystal clear again. Well, God wants you to refresh your perspective. Hit your refresh button in your heart and say, Lord, I want to see you just the way you really are. What is the true image of God? What, what is your image of God? You think your image of God aligns with God's image, his true image? Are you seeing him exactly like he really is? What is God really like? One thing we'll learn today, we know he's good. We need to see and know God's true image. You want to really look at and understand the Father, look at Jesus. Look at the cross. Jesus stretched his arms out wide and said, I love you this much. And one hand was nailed, and the other hand was nailed, and his feet were nailed, and he's crying out, I love you this much. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I love you this much. That's what the Father's like. You, you see a God, a big, angry, ugly God with a stick hitting you over the head every time you do something wrong? That's not the true image of God. That's not, that's not the God of the Old Testament or the New Testament. There's a lot of theory out there in the church world today where people preach a different God in the Old Testament from the God of the New Testament. No, it's the same God. God never changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His revelation just changed, and he poured out himself in a greater way 2,000 years ago once Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Pentecost came, and God came to live inside the heart of man. That's the biggest change. We're not under the old covenant. We're under the new covenant. Praise the name of Jesus. So what is God like? Look at Jesus. Look him in the face. Read the gospels. Look how loving and gentle and kind and compassionate he is. And look how good God is. A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I want to let you chew on that a minute. You think about God. What's the first thing that comes in your mind when you think about God? That's the most important thing about you. Because that defines who you are. If you're seeing God wrong, you've got a golden calf. You've got an idol. You're out of sync with him. If you can see him like he is, you, you, you'll love him greater. You'll follow him greater. His life, his goodness and grace will transform your life if you can see him just the way he is. Now, this is Vacation Bible School's theme. I don't know why I got the rectangle, but it's simply, I'm just going to go over this with you, not that you're little children, but adults need to learn this, <laughs> so it's very important. When life is unfair, God is good. when life is scary, God is good. when life is changing, God is good. when life is sad, God is good. and then there are some good days, right? And when life is good, God, God is good. Amen. So you roar that in the face of the enemy when you feel like God's not fair, God's not just, or God's mad at you or mean to you, and your life is just not right, and it's not fair, and you're complaining, and you're, you're miserable, and you're sad, and you're sinking down into a pit of depression, all because you think God's not really good. Stop that. Get your mind on Him and say, Lord Jesus, you're good, you're gracious, you're gentle. You're merciful. You're kind. You've forgiven me. You love me. See, God is good no matter what's going on in your life. God is good. If you understand the goodness of God, then you can trust Him when your life is full of pain. If you can trust Him, then you can yield your will to His will. 
So that's what we're really trying to get to. We live a broken life of yielded to the Spirit of God. That's only can be possible if you put your trust in Him. If you lose trust in Him, it's probably because you don't really think He's good to you. You're a little mad at Him. I know people just outright angry with God. I know people that are angry with God and they don't know they're angry with God. They think they're angry with people. I know other people that admit and confess they're angry with God. Jonah was angry with God. God, God did a miracle and Jonah got mad at God. God saved all that whole town of Nineveh. And Jonah, who should have been the servant of God, wanting that, they were his enemies, so therefore he got mad at God. You know, the Bible says in Psalms 34, Oh, taste and see. Taste means experience. See means get the revelation. So get a revelation and have an experience that the Lord is good. If you have an experience and taste his goodness, it would change your life. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Here's our little hymn we just sang, our little chorus. I'm undone by the mercy of Jesus. When you stop realizing how much you need his mercy, then your, your heart will get cold. If you can understand and just be undone by his mercy. I'm undone by the goodness of the Lord. When I think of how good God is and how gracious he is and how much he loves me and how kind he's been to me, I'm undone by the goodness of the Lord. I've been restored and made right. He got a hold of my life. I have Jesus. How could I want more? You know what most people do in life? They, they're always coveting more and more and more and more and more. I need more money. I need more this. I need this. If you really have Jesus to the level that I'm trying to share here and express, then if you're totally aware of the goodness of God and how it undoes, un, undoes you, <laughs> you're undone by it, then you won't be wanting. Jesus is enough. I said Jesus is enough. In this world, modern world in the United States, 2019, we're so busy about so many things that all of a sudden one day you may wake up and Jesus isn't enough anymore. You need to refresh your experience with the goodness of God. And don't let the devil minimize your salvation experience. I've had people say this in my life, heard it all my life. I always knew there had to be something more. Once the devil gets you thinking like that, he's almost got a snare around your neck right there. Because you drift away from the gratitude for your salvation looking for something else. Beloved one, sure there's a growing in God. Sure, he wants you to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Sure, he wants you to be water baptized in his name. Sure, he wants you to become a disciple. But, but there's, there's nothing greater is ever going to happen to you than the, what happened to you the day you got saved. Nothing more spectacular than that. You should celebrate that. You should think on that. You should worship him and just give him praise for his goodness. I got saved a long time ago. No big deal. Now what, Pastor? I'm, I'm way beyond that. You need to go back and get your first love where you, where you first got saved and get grateful of that. Salvation, no, that's baby stuff. I want to be in his bride. That's what the Baptists do. One time we gave an altar call here at Return. Five people gave their heart to the Lord, and somebody came down and says, You're turning this into a Baptist church. Salvation, altar calls. No, that's not what we want. Let me tell you something. That's what I want. That's what God wants. That's what Return is going to be. When people get saved, the angels rejoice. When people get saved, Christians should rejoice. 
We had 20-some kids get saved this weekend. That's the most exciting news that I could give you. Some people are all wrapped up in the ministry. Oh, man, God answered my prayer. I saw somebody get delivered from a devil. I saw somebody get healed from sickness. I, there were thousands came to hear me preach. Or there was, I mean, and that's all exciting stuff. So when the disciples went out and they were casting out devils and doing all these miracles, and they came back and told Jesus how excited they were that even the devils were subject to them. And Jesus said, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice over that. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I've been saved. I'm going to rejoice over that. Don't let the devil minimize it. Don't let the devil take it away from you. That's the greatest thing that ever happened to you. Just get more grateful for what's already happened to you. You see, when we got saved, our sins were forgiven and forgotten. What? Are you kidding me? I was a horrendous sinner. I lived in so much pride and so much arrogance. And you say, well, I wasn't that bad of a sinner. No, your sins were just as bad as my sins. You just didn't know it. The Bible says when you break the law in one point, you're guilty of breaking it all. I don't care if you were raised in church every day of your life. You were born a sinner. You were born selfish. You were born in need of a Savior. All of us were born in need of a Savior. Are you kidding me? He forgave me of all of that? And not only did he forgive me, he, for, he forgot all about it? Are you kidding me, man? That's something to be excited about. Do you realize your sins are forgiven and forgotten? I'm undone by the mercy of Jesus. I'm undone by the goodness of the Lord. When we were saved, I was washed clean by the blood of Jesus. What greater gift could he give me? Sent his only begotten son into this world to live the life that I could never live, a perfect life. And he went to Calvary's cross, and on Calvary's cross, he looked down at Bill Hudson and he said, I'm going to take all that junk, all that sin and iniquity and transgression, and I'm going to take it upon myself. And I'm the Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Are you kidding me? Are you, are you kidding? I've been washed in the blood of Jesus. What am I excited about today? I'm excited that I'm saved. I'm excited that my sins are forgiven. I'm excited that he loves me that much. We're justified. That means it's just as if you never did it. You mean that really bad thing you've done in your life that you're walking around feeling guilty of? If, if you put your faith in Christ, you're no longer guilty of that. You're now innocent. You get to the judgment seat of Christ, they're going to look at you and proclaim you innocent. You say, oh, no, Brother Hudson, I'm guilty. I've done all kind of wrong things. Yeah, but you put your faith in him. He takes his precious blood and washes your sins away. Though your sins be as scarlet, he'll make them whiter than snow. You're justified. You're innocent. You'll stand before the throne of God and Jesus will declare him innocent, her innocent. She's innocent because she put her trust in me. She's innocent because I've washed her in my blood. You're not saved because of your own goodness. You're saved because of the goodness of God. You don't get good enough to go to heaven, beloved. Jesus was your goodness. You know, a common phrase in our, in our culture, 
and something happens kind of outstanding, sometimes we'll say, my goodness. Y'all ever said that? Oh, my goodness. Well, what goodness are we talking about there? That's the goodness you're carrying around. And a lot of people try to save themselves with that goodness. They think they're good enough to go to heaven because they've lived a sheltered world in church all their life. Beloved, everybody's born a sinner and everybody needs Jesus. If you've been in church or if you've been in the bar rooms, you still need Jesus. This my goodness thing is really, that really should try to come out of our vocabulary one day in our life. I do it every now and then. I catch myself like, whoa, what goodness was that? <laughs> I must still be banking on I got some goodness inside of me. No, the only good inside of me is Jesus Christ. The hope of glory. The Holy Ghost lives inside of me. He's good. God's good. Jesus is good. And Jesus came to live in our hearts. Are you kidding me? Jesus lives inside of me? I thought he was way up there. No, look inside. He's right there. If you put your trust in him and given him your life, he lives in you. He dwells in you. He abides in you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Oh, where is he? He's here. He's inside of me. Holy Spirit came and gave us a new birth. He regenerated our dead spirit. He made it alive. Our old man is crucified with him. We were placed in Christ. Are you kidding me? Look at the good stuff that happened the day we got saved. We all ought to be shouting. We all ought to be running. We all ought to be rejoicing. I'm saved. I'm undone by the mercy of Jesus. I'm undone by the goodness of the Lord. I've been made righteous. Are you kidding me? Made righteous? I've been crooked all my life. I've been a sinner. I've done all kind of wrong things. But not in his eyes. He made me righteous. He put me in Christ and he fixed it. And I'm not talking about just positionally righteous. I'm talking about practically righteous. Experientially righteous. I'm not a perfect person. Never have claimed to be. But in God's eyes I'm righteous because I'm in Christ. I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb. I'm justified. I'm made holy. He calls me a saint. He sanctified me when he put me in Christ. I've been adopted into God's family. Now I'm his son. You're his daughter. You're his son. You're, you're an heir to the throne. Are you kidding me? We've got a lot to be excited about this morning. Why? Because we're good? Because we've been to church all our life? Because we given the offering because we worked at vacation Bible school because well God's appreciative of all that he really is he appreciates your service and I appreciate it but you can't bank on your goodness and get you in heaven because your goodness is not good enough it's still flawed scarred marred stained with sin we all have this sin problem but Jesus came to take that problem away man I was stuck in the muck in the mire in quicksand I was going under and Jesus came and rescued me and set my feet up on a rock <sighs> washed my sin away he filled me with his spirit man I, I was I was sinking sinking deep into sin but where sin abounded grace did much more abound he came and saved me he rescued me why because I'm good no because he's good God is good. God is gracious. God is loving. He wants to save you. Amen. You just got to give your heart to him. Now, somewhere along the way, a lot of us learn this, 
that Jesus came to live in our heart, and that's a truth. But if that diagram is controlling your thinking, I'm going to help you with it today. Christ does live inside of us, okay? If you're a Christian, Christ lives inside of you. But we could use these two terms, old heart, new heart, or old man, new man. We could say Christ in us is the new man, the new heart, that's to be correct. But you've got an old heart and an old man. And, and if you really think, look at your diagram, do you really think Christ comes inside your heart years ago and he wants you to fight it out with him? For the rest of your life are you to be at war with Jesus Christ for the rest of your life if you are your old man that means you got to fight Christ because you're trying to shrink as he grows you're trying to decrease as he increases you're trying to die daily and allow him to live are you do you really want to be at war with your Savior for the rest of your life forget that diagram that's not true it just doesn't work that way it, it's not biblical. It's a neat diagram. It's taught in churches all over the world. It's just simply not biblical. It's not true. This is the better diagram for you. In your spirit, the very middle of your being, this is where Jesus lives. This is where the Holy Spirit lives. He joined himself to our spirit. Our spirit was dead in Adam. He comes in and now we're alive in Christ. Our spirit was dead. He came and regenerated it according to Titus. He, he came and, and his spirit mixed with our spirit, Romans 8, to let us know we're sons and daughters of God. So the middle of your being and the Holy Spirit are one, and you could put an arrow through that being the will of God because God's will lives inside of you. It's just all encased in the soul. And this soul needs transforming. It needs breaking, actually, so the spirit of God can be released out of you. Also, you may know this chart. Well, that looks good on paper, too. That really came from Dr. Charles Larkin, 1918. But the problem with that, he's got all your faith and your worship and your reverence and your hope in your spirit. Now, your spirit has been born again and changed. You actually need that in your soul. So I want you to forget that diagram, too, okay? It's just not true. It's just not accurate enough. I mean, it looks neat, but it's just not accurate according to the Bible. The diagram I want you to think about is this again. Your, your body is the earthen vessel. Uh, the the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Inside the core of your being lives the Holy Spirit inside of you if you're a Christian. But the soul of man houses the Spirit. Remember we said unless a corn of wheat fall on the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. So that, that outer shell has got to be broken in order for the Spirit of God to be released. Are y'all following that? Hebrews 4.12 says the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit. Joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Do you realize God wants you to be in the Word so much that you start seeing the difference in your soul and spirit? Like you can recognize when your spirit's flowing out and you got that true love, joy, and peace flowing out to others differently than when you're just speaking out of your intelligence or, or out of your mind or even speaking out of your emotions. See, that's not going to change anybody. It may entertain people, but the only thing that will change people is when the Holy Spirit comes and touches them because the Spirit quickeneth. The Spirit gives life. Only the Spirit can do that. 
So we need to be aware of when this is us and when it's God. We need to separate our soul and our spirit. I want you all to work on that. And and then quit believing, okay, I am my old man. Jesus lives in me, so I'm going to fight it out with Jesus the rest of my life. That's really a bad thought. You don't want to have to fight it out with him. He just wants you to yield to him. Yield him. He don't want you fighting him. Just yield. Let him be the boss. Let him be the king. Let him be the governor. Let him be your Lord. Just yield to him. And you are not your old man. Your old man died with him. You were buried in the baptismal pool and raised to walk in newness of life. That's not who you are. Colossians 3, 3. I am dead. My life is hid with Christ in God. Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've got to hurry. I think it's these African clothes I got on, these these safari clothes. Got me fired up today. Now write this scripture down right here. I'm giving it to you in three translations. This tells you what I've been trying to say for three weeks better than anything. It says how your spirit's already made perfect, but your soul's still being sanctified or being transformed. Hebrews 10, 14, NLT. For by that one offering he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. For by NIV, for by one sacrifice he's made perfect forever those who are being made holy. ESV. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Y'all see that? He, you're already perfect. When you got saved, you can't get more perfect than that. You're justified. You're in right relationship with God. He's already perfected you. He died that you may have that. But on the other side, you're still not made holy. You still need to be sanctified. What part of you? That's your soul. Your soul's in a lifetime process of transformation. We could call it progressive sanctification. Your spirit's already sanctified. If you're dying right now, your spirit appears before the judgment seat of Christ. He's going to pronounce you innocent. If you've given your heart to Jesus, he's going to pronounce you innocent. He's not going to have a record of all your sins. He's just going to celebrate in heaven that another saint came home. But then your soul's there with your spirit. And if your soul's not going to be perfected right there. Read 1 Corinthians third chapter. It talks about gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. The wood, hay, and stubble is going to be burned up. He's going to breathe his breath, his Holy Spirit breath on your soul. And all the wood, hay, and stubble will be vanished. And you'll take the gold, silver, and precious stones into eternity. We'll talk about that down the road. The goodness of God. Moses said, please show me your glory. Look at this. Moses asked for his glory. Moses did not ask for his goodness. He said, I want to see your glory, God. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. You want to see my glory? You want to know my glory? Just get a glimpse of my goodness. And I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. And I'll show mercy on whom I'll show mercy. Then Exodus 34, yet it's got cut off there. It's Exodus 34. The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God. What's God like? He's merciful. He's gracious. He's long-suffering. He's abundant in goodness and truth keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And he's a just God, by no means clear the guilty. It means he's also a just God. That, those verses right there give you a little snapshot of what God is like. So God put Moses in the cleft of the rock. 
He passed by him, but he couldn't see his face. He could just kind of see the, the back part of God. And after Moses got through communicating with God, when he came down, his face was shining. His face was so bright, he had to put a veil over it because people couldn't even look at it. If you can see the goodness of God, you kiss the goodness, kiss the face of God and see his goodness. It'll make your face shine. A lot of people come to church with big smiles and sad eyes and nobody wants what you got. If you'll see the goodness of God, you'll have a big smile and fiery eyes full of love and everybody will want what you've got. It comes by you seeing, tasting, experiencing, knowing the goodness of God. The word is chesed in Hebrew. Chesed means goodness, kindness, beauty, favor, good, deed. Kindly, loving, kindness, merciful. A better sentence would be, Chesed means the goodness, grace, favor, mercy, and loving kindness of God. When you think of His goodness, you're also saying God is good, God is gracious, God is merciful, God is long-suffering, God is loving. You get, a lot of translations put that word goodness, Chesed, they translate as steadfast love, unmovable love. Love that will not change its mind. Same God loved you yesterday, loves you today, is going to love you tomorrow. No matter what you do, He's got steadfast love. He never stops loving you. He never gives up on you. He keeps believing in you and He keeps pouring His goodness and His love on you. You need a glimpse of His goodness. Lord, help me know your goodness. Let me just see a little bit of your goodness and to change your life. Does God allow or cause pain? I just read a book by Bill Johnson. He would say, no, God's got nothing to do with pain at all. The devil does all that. God doesn't even allow that. It's all the devil. Andrew Womack's going to say the same thing. Kenneth Copeland's going to say the same thing. You, there's a whole line of faith preachers, and what they've done was say, everything painful in life's of the devil, and everything pleasurable in life's from God. See, the, what's bad is those guys teach so many great things, but this one thing they're out of balance on, it's like a bird with one wing. They're just seeing one side of this. You know, of course the devil's real. Of course the devil's out to steal, kill, and destroy. Of course the devil loves to put sickness on people and, and do all kind of horrible things to people. But even though there's a the bad devil out there, it doesn't change the nature of God. God is still on the throne above that, very, very good in his nature. He's not an unfair God. Yeah, you may get an unfair judge. I tell you what, run a red light get caught and go to jail I mean not to jail but to judge and see if you get a fair judge or an unfair judge the nastier crime you do the worse consequences you'll have but most people in life because something happened wasn't fair the system wasn't fair the judge wasn't fair the ex-wife wasn't fair the ex-husband wasn't fair some, something wasn't fair and you say that's not fair that's not right that's what, if you understand God's up above that, He's way beyond Satan, He's on the throne, He's sovereign, and everything happens in your life happens for your good and His glory. So therefore, He does allow everything. Look, I've got four verses for you, you'll like them. Lamentations 3, 37. Who can command things to happen without the Lord's permission? Anybody? Does not the Most High send both calamity and good? He does. God didn't take a Dale Carnegie course between the Old and the New Testament. He didn't all of a sudden get sweet in the New It's the same God all the way through. He just had greater revelation as time marched on. 
So 2,000 years ago, you got the fulfillment of 4,000 years of promise, and all of a sudden God fulfilled it all. And to much is given, much is required. They didn't have Jesus and the Holy Spirit living inside of them. We do. You take the best Old Testament saint and look at their life, and they did that without the Holy Spirit indwelling in them. What's your excuse? <laughs> Jesus lives in our heart if we've been saved. Isaiah 45, that they may know from the rising of the sun, that's from the east, from the west, there's none else beside me. I am the Lord. There's not two gods fighting it out in heaven. There's one. There's one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's none of I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do these things. Y'all got that? God is in control. In fact, look at this. Isaiah 63, 17. Oh, Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways and harden our hearts so that we fear you not? What does that do to your faith? That means a lot of people are so self-righteous that God actually has to almost create a situation, let them fall, just so they'll quit being self-righteous and get on their knees and cry out for the goodness of God. Because if we're in this posture all of our life, Lord, I need your goodness. I need your grace. I need you to wash me in your blood. See, that's the safe place. When you, when you rise up and start thinking you're so good, you don't need the grace of God, you know what he'll do? He'll make you wander from his ways, and he'll harden your heart so you quit fearing him. And then when you fall out there in the world and you're humiliated, you're embarrassed, then you want to run back to God, back to church, and back to everything. Are you hearing me? Y'all really got deathly quiet on me when I read that scripture. I was just trying to show you God's more in control than what you give Him credit for. Go back and think of some horror in your life when you fell terribly. And what happened after that? See, when you got restored back to the grace of God and the goodness of God and kissed God and He forgave you, then your life was changed in a deeper way. Your life wouldn't have got changed had you not have fallen. Now, I am not saying go out and wander from the way of God. How many know there's consequences to sin? You don't want to go there. I'm just letting you know if you're full of self-righteousness and can't see yourself, this could be in the, your future. Oh, boy. Isaiah 54, he also creates the waster. Behold, I've created the smith and bloweth the coals in the fire and bringeth forth an instrument for his work, and I have created the waster to destroy. Woo! When God creates a waster, God is good. Come on, where'd y'all go with that? We know there's a devil. Who created the devil? God made the devil. And the devil had this exalted place, but it wasn't good enough for him. He wanted to be higher than Jesus. He wanted to lift himself up. So God had to kick him down. And now our whole experience on earth is, is we live on an earth that, where the devil rules the atmosphere and the environment. He's the, the prince of this earth, and his nature was infused in all of us by Adam the first. So we're, we're born with a sinful nature, and we've got to fight the devil all our life. But in the middle of all that darkness and all that chaos and all that pain, God is good. God is good no matter what's going on. All right, I know i got to. This has been my last slide. I'm done. Do you realize if you've not really walked in great darkness... You wouldn't be appreciative of the truth. If you had never been in captivity, you couldn't really appreciate your freedom.
See, I, I've been in, I've been in religion. First, I've been in the captivity of the world. And I was suicidal. I, well, that was so fun doing whatever I wanted to do that I was suicidal. But then God was so good that he reached down and rescued me and he saved me. I deserved the wrath and the judgment and the fury of Almighty God. As I felt that fall on my soul, he showed me Jesus and saw where he transferred it from me to Jesus. And then I saw a broken Christ, my Messiah, Yahshua, Hamashiach. I saw him on the cross, bleeding and bloody, and he, he was telling me, I'm doing this for you. I've become your sin. I'm taking the sin off your soul. I'm putting it on me that I might make you righteous. I'm going to take my righteousness and put it on you. Oh, God is good. See, I used to sit in the chains of captivity of the world. I've been in the captivity of religion. Just totally bound, not, not able to see it, but just totally bound. Why am I excited today? Because he set me free. Jesus came to set the captive free. He opened the prison door. God is good. I love the freedom I have in Christ. You say, you got freedom to sin? No, we never said you're free to sin here at return. God doesn't say that. You're free from sin. You're free finally to live the life that Jesus called you to live. You're free to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. God is good. See, I, I know, I appreciate the pleasure when I get it because I've had a lot of pain. Man, when you're in pain, it's hard to see God's good. But the neat thing about God is that mountains and valleys, mountains and valleys, mountains and valleys, mountains and valleys. So if you're in pain today, realize you're just in a valley. Just hang on, start saying God is good. Because he's going to put you back up on the mountain. When you're on the mountain, you can see clearly and you know God's good. Then he'll take you back down into pain. It's here in the valley of pain where you need to try to eke it out. God is good. You're good. <laughs> you're good. Oh, Just eke it out. <laughs> Just try your best. Because guess what's going to happen? He's going to bring you up on the mountain. You get back on the mountain, you'll start dancing with him. Oh, God is good. You dance all over the top of the mountain. You go back down again, okay? Sickness and health. I love health. Appreciate I'm so grateful for health. Why? Because I've been sick. Poverty and wealth. You don't appreciate what you have till you don't have nothing. When you lose everything, you're so grateful for what you have. Hate and love. You know, I, I love to experience love because I, I know what it's like to be hated. How many of y'all know it's like to be hated? If some of y'all never have been hated, you're really... I'd like you to sit down and have a counsel with you and find out what's happening in your life. I thought we were all hated. The Bible says you will be persecuted if you live a Christian life. You will suffer persecution. They will hate you. The more you grow in Christ and take a stand, the more they'll hate you. And then there's war and peace. I'm so grateful for a peaceful life because I used to live a life at war. Amen. Go home and read Psalms 107. I'm not, I can't have time to do it for you today, but go home and read it. It'll really bless you. The whole key to this is believe in the goodness of God, then I can trust Him to perfect me. I can be conformed to His image when I'm trusting Him. See, if I'm not trusting Him, I'm like clay jumping off the potter's wheel. You can't get better there. You've got to stay on the wheel. And the potter's going to spin you round and round and round. He's going to form you. You've got to learn to trust Him on the wheel. You can trust Him when you know He's good. If you still doubt the goodness of God, you're going to have trouble trusting Him, and you're going to be like the clay jumped off the wheel. Are you all following that?
All right, we're going to finish. When life is unfair, when life is scary, when life is changing, when life is sad, and when life is good, let's stand up and give them a big praise.